Welcome, welcome to Psychedelic Healing. This is Sonia Cato, your host. I am here today with Sam Mandel, co-founder and CEO of Ketamine Clinics of Los Angeles. He is a lifelong mental health advocate and had started this clinic with his father, Dr. Stephen Mandel, in 2014. He is one of the pioneers in psychedelic healing in the United States, being able to be the trailblazer here in mental health healing and real treatment. And I am very proud to introduce him. Sam, welcome. Thank you so much for that great introduction. And thanks for having me, Sonia. Oh, you're so welcome. I have met you a few times at different conferences, and it's always been an honor, always having great conversations about what is happening in the psychedelic space. And uh, you've actually had a lot of changes in your clinic. Um, we have. Bringing, yeah. What, what kind of things have you started adding in services? Yeah. So as you said, we really pioneered um, ketamine in, in the United States opening in 2014. And after uh, pioneering this for a decade now, we've added some additional service offerings, uh, such as medication management, um, just conventional psychiatry for management of prescriptions. Patients are needing, you know, SSRIs or anti-anxiety medications or ADHD medication or really whatever their needs might be. So we have two psychiatrists on staff now. And we've also added transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS uh, as well to the practice. So just rounding out our offerings, wanting to be more comprehensive in the care that we provide and also increase access to care because those two new services are covered by insurance. So we've gone to network with nine of California's largest health insurance plans as well. So people can use their insurance to get their needs met, which currently uh, in most cases, ketamine is not covered by insurance. So um, that's some of the reasoning behind our, our expansion. Uh, also, we have an 83% success rate in treating mental health with ketamine, but that's still, which is fantastic, but it still leaves about 17% who don't benefit. And instead of saying, sorry, you know, we did our best and maybe we can refer you somewhere else that you can try another treatment. Now we have other treatments that we can offer them. We can say, all right, let's try this or a different combination of treatments. So really just looking to provide that comprehensive service to patients. Oh, that's so great. That is so wonderful. Yeah. I find that in my clinic, you know, we do have to refer out for additional services and really, um, work with, you know, psychiatrists in the area. So to have that in, uh, you know, in office that you can work as a team collaboration is, is very helpful for the patient, not having to go to multiple areas. Um, so you get better compliance, I think. Oh, for <laughs> sure. That. And I don't know if yeah. this is the case in your area, but in ours, the wait times to see a decent provider or a psychiatrist are very long. And the quality of care is mediocre often, which we're very mm -hmm. disappointed in. And so we really you know, are striving to be able to provide really individualized, high quality care to our patients and to not have them need to wait to get seen. Mm -hmm. Do you find that with these uh, patients that come into the clinic and are receiving ketamine, are you then able to help them? Are you seeing a lot of them being able to come off of their other medications? Definitely. And that's definitely a desire of a lot of patients. When they come to us already working with someone, we work collaboratively with that provider who, you know, the prescriber needs to be the one to help them to wean off. And we support mm -hmm. that effort. And when they don't, uh, we do have patients who are coming to us specifically with that goal in mind, and they can work with our in-house psychiatrists to do that. A lot of these medications, as you know, they're mediocre. And when I say these medications, we're talking about your, your conventional antidepressant pills, right? Like your mm -hmm. SSRIs, SNRIs, antipsychotic medications. 
So as we're talking about these medications, your SSRIs, SNRIs, antipsychotics, and just conventional pills that people are taking for mental health needs, they have their place, their tools in the toolbox, they have value, they're important. So I don't want to bash them. I also want to say that for most patients that we come across, the quality of relief they provide are mediocre at best. They have side effects like weight gain, loss of libido, increased suicidality, and they just aren't really working for them. If they do that, that benefit is often short-lived. So a lot of people do want to get off of these medications and ketamine can really help with some of the withdrawals that are associated with that. First and foremost, uh, infusions can just get at the underlying root causes of their mental health challenges to really address the need for why they're on those medications in the first place which a lot of it, as, as you know, comes back to trauma and trauma manifesting itself with different symptoms, different conditions, be it depression or anxiety, PTSD. And so getting at the root causes of those issues with the ketamine infusions, there isn't really as much of a need for those medications anymore because the ketamine meets that need. Uh, and then also definitely can really help with those uh, kind of zaps that people experience and other uh, negative side effects when they're tapering off of those medications. Exactly. And we, we work so much with, you know, when I'm, I'm speaking with patients and I try to tell them and, and I, a lot of them know when they are on those SSRIs, SNRIs and all these other antidepressants, you know, it, that are helping them, the, those that are still struggling. And I describe it kind of like a bandaid, right. Where, where you're covering up this bleeding artery instead of treating and closing up the artery, which is the cause of the depression you know, right now in our mental health space, we're literally treating the symptom as opposed to going to the root cause, which is sometimes difficult to get to. And that's why we have this beautiful tool of this legal psychedelic of ketamine. You know, what do you say to people when they talk about the negative connotations about ketamine? How do you explain it to people? And then how do you explain it to our audience? Because a lot of them do have that, oh, it's the special K, the horse tranquilizer. Oh, it's just an addict. It's a party drug, you know, or it's not even a psychedelic. <laughs> yeah, that's always good. That's always usually from that last one, more from within the community, right? In the field yes. of people who are active in that psychedelic world. But just to quickly comment on what you were saying before I address that, which is, is a great question. Uh, a analogy that I love that I heard before is, you know, when a plant has brown leaves or is shedding leaves, you don't say it has brown leaf disease. So maybe that plant is being overwatered or underwatered, or that plant's not getting enough sunlight. You look at these more holistic causes of why the plant is not healthy and you try to address them. With humans, modern Western medicine goes, oh, that's brown leaf disease. Let's throw this drug addict. You know, it, it's just, it doesn't really make sense. So I'm all for getting at the root causes and, and helping people to address their challenges through the pillars of wellness, through holistic channels, and through methods of healing that are actually sustainable longer term. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's why we always get along. We, we get <laughs> yes. along. We're doing it the right way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We have a lot yeah. of shared values for sure. That's why yes. it's always great to chat. Yeah. Yeah. We've even yeah. implemented now nutrition, nutrient testing, micronutrient testing, because I have a lot of patients that are low in thyroid, low in B12, zinc, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, you it's, it's crazy to me to think some, those things just simply, and then you compound them with multiple factors and even altered hormone levels because our diet and our American diet and the U S in general is depleting in every, every nutrient factor. Um, those also play a role in it. 
But yeah, I heard back, we're eating like 60% processed food on average in this yeah. country. And it's like, it's just unbelievable. It's terrible. The hormone thing is very interesting. We don't do that for routinely for patients. I love to hear that you're doing that. We do mm -hmm. it when people don't benefit sometimes because right. those deficiencies can actually prevent people from having a response to ketamine. There's actually a very interesting case with one patient in particular who had low testosterone and he had tried uh, infusions repeatedly, not benefited and was really convinced that this was a solution for him despite not responding to it. We came to find he had low testosterone that was corrected. He had infusions after, and he did have a tremendous benefit. So really interesting to look at those hormonal and, and vitamin and other deficiencies that can actually not only contribute to low mood and other health issues, but actually prevent patients from responding to treatments that they would otherwise respond to. Exactly. Yeah. We actually had a patient that was doing amazing on maintenance, just, you know, doing their normal protocol and then stopped responding. Mm. And that's when we started looking, we were starting to implement the nutrient testing and we actually sent him for hormone testing and his testosterone was like bottomed out, mm -hmm. you know, and just correcting that boom, right back to baseline. I love that. Yeah. 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 This is how um, we should be practicing medicine, yes. you know, looking at the whole person and not just saying, Oh, ketamine is good and it helps and it helped you before. And you know, if that's not working, I guess it just, it's a mystery. It just stopped. You know, it's like, let's look into this. What else is going on with you? You know, we're all so complex. Yeah. It's, it's sad in the mental health space that so many people are suffering and, and it's really just symptom treatment, right? You yeah. just treat the symptoms. There's no real root cause analysis. And I think, you know, in the psychedelic space, we're actually getting to root cause. Yes. That's what's so exciting about it. How is your uh, protocol set up? I know everybody has the general same protocols, but I know for you guys, you have a little bit of a different uh, protocol set up where you're, I guess, go from the beginning. If you were going to yeah. consult a patient, like how many infusions, how, how long are they spread apart, dosing, that kind of thing? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we do a series of six infusions over two to three weeks. We do IV infusions uh, for those who might not know who are listening. There's a lot of different routes of administration of ketamine. There's a lot of different ways that people are giving it, right? They're giving it sublingually, orally, nasally, IM, intramuscular injections, and others as well. So uh, we specialize in IV infusions, which are really the gold standard. The way that we do six infusions over two to three weeks, they're about 55 minutes long each. Uh, most of the literature and most clinics are doing 40 minute long infusions. So ours are notably mm -hmm. longer. We feel that gives patients a much better benefit as well as a slightly higher rate of infusion. So the literature in a lot of places are doing about a half a milligram uh, of ketamine per kilogram of body weight over that 40 minute period. And we're doing about 0.6.7 as a starting point. So that's another thing that we do a little differently that we feel is really adding a lot of value to patients. And we titrate to effect. We adjust the rate during the infusion and not just from one infusion to the next. And one of the ways we're able to do that really precisely is we use digital syringe pumps instead of an IV bag. So we can actually really dial in the rate of infusion and adjust it. And within a minute or two, the patient is feeling a difference. And so that you know, uh, 0 0.6, 0 0.7 megs per kg is a starting point, but the ability to 
titrate, we deviate from that quite dramatically in some cases. And to find that sweet spot for that patient, it really does vary. And, and that's something that we feel is really important. It's important to have protocols and, and a kind of starting point for people based on their weight, their age, you know, their experience with the medicine. But you can't, it's not a one size fits all thing. And you really need to be able to have some clinical judgment to kind of find the right rate for each patient and be willing and able to adjust it accordingly. So that's something that we feel has really given us very good results with patients. Nice. Do you know, so I usually end up like in my protocol and, and that's beautiful. Let's go back to dosing. Cause that's amazing because that's what I find when I see research, they talk about how ketamine, Oh, it's just as beneficial as electric convulsive therapy. Right. To me, I think it's quite superior. I mean, you're, inducing a seizure and giving general anesthesia, paralyzing a patient and all that, um, for this electrocompulsive therapy, which is an amazing treatment. If, if it's needed, right. You go to look at the research and the entire study is dosed. The patients are dosed at 0.5 milligrams per kilogram, right. Every single infusion through the entire time. And that is not an appropriate dose. <laughs> that is too well, low of a dose. For that mystical experience, for that transformational root cause, you know, there is that buildup that is necessary in higher doses, you know, um, five is great for, you know, psychotherapy, you know, being able to talk and, and go through those. But I, I love that you guys do adjust the dosing as well. How long have you been doing the 55 minute protocol versus, cause I know all the studies say 40 minutes. Yeah. Since 2014. Since that the very we, beginning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we started, of course, I mean, very first infusion was probably, you know, 40 minutes, but very early on, we started saying, well, what happens if we do another five or another 10? What's mm-hmm. another 15 minutes? What does that look like? Because it takes time for people to settle into that experience. And a lot of patients actually want more time once they're there. You know, there's resistance, sometimes fear, anxiety, there's just the setup, settling in. There's just kind of so much that goes into it, right? That once someone's really kind of cruising along in that sweet spot, that's where that meaningful work can happen, both with neurogenesis with on a neurochemical level and also on the experiential component psychologically, where that patient can revisit past trauma or uh, get an objective perspective on themselves or their life or their challenges. And that's a special time. And so giving patients m- a little more time to be in that place Uh, we recognized pretty early on was really valuable. I want to comment on what you're saying with the ECT thing, because there was a study that was done, I think a couple of years ago, where they only did about, I think, four ketamine infusions, and then uh, a pretty robust course of ECT. And uh, they said, oh, it doesn't really work as well. Well, there was more recently a study came out, it was the non-inferiority study that's been getting a lot of press, where they did say, okay, ketamine is not inferior to ECT. But I really have a bone to pick with that. I know this is technical language, but if you look at their results, ketamine actually outperformed ECT in this recent study. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on where it was done, but it's been getting a lot of press lately. And a lot of people are talking about it going, oh, okay, ketamine is non-inferior. And that just really you know, irks me because the data actually shows that ketamine is superior. And this is something that we've always known. And we've known from the beginning, if you just look at independent ketamine studies versus independent ECT studies, but having one where they actually go head to head with, you know, a legitimate protocol, uh, it has shown ketamine is superior and it leaves no doubt that that's the case. Uh, Aside from- Oh, no, I was gonna say that's the study that 
kept the 0.5 milligrams per kilogram the entire study. Right. What's I think it's a little tough with studies because I recognize the need to have standardized protocols that, you know, in order to actually isolate variables or not have too many different variables for the sake of the study. But I do think there would be an interesting possibility to look at if people are not responding, can we go back and potentially give them 0.6 or 0.7 or, you know, try again with a different dose? Because a lot of those non-responders would definitely benefit from a more individualized treatment. But even with the half a meg, the most recent one that I'm thinking of, ketamine outperformed DCT, but people are still mm-hmm. saying, oh, it's, it's just non-inferior. Non-inferior. Um, you know, it's just like, okay. <laughs> Not to mention everyone who has ever come to our clinic who had ECT, uh, if they got any benefit, it was, it was short-lived and also they had permanent memory loss. And all the proponents of ECT say, oh, that's transient, that's short-term. Uh, yes, it can happen. It's not that common. And if it does, it goes away. That's just not true with any of the people I've personally come across. They have permanent memory loss years and years later and difficulty forming new memories. And part, I have a patient, wonderful patient has gotten great benefit from ketamine, which is, I don't remember my wedding. I don't remember my daughter being born still to this day, really critical life moments that are gone for her. And I'm sorry, but unless you are, have tried everything under the sun, including ketamine, and you're really catatonic. I just don't think it should be touted as such a, a gold standard treatment as it conventional psychiatry likes to tout it as. Yeah. It's, it's one of the only treatments that they've had for a long time. You know, they're really kind of tied to it and committed to it. Yeah. They need to look at outside options, but you know, we have really amazing new cutting edge treatments that work better, faster, safer, and it's time to start to get enthusiastic about them. I agree. What do you think for our audience when they are looking for treatment near them. You know, there are ketamine clinics everywhere, um, but there are good clinics, there are bad clinics, there's an, everyone in between. And what it, what is your recommendation? I guess, well, how they should find their clinic? What should they ask? What should they look for? Yeah, it's such a big question. I have so much to say about that. I think You know, there are really great providers doing important work with IM and sublingual lozenges or trochees and other routes. I would say for someone looking for a clinic, I think the place to start is an IV clinic. So I would say that's number one, get IV infusions. That's what 90% plus of the research has been conducted on. And that really is, uh, has a lot of advantages to the patient in terms of safety and efficacy. Not to say that the others aren't valuable and doing great work with other routes, but I would, I would start with an IV clinic. I would mm-hmm. look for a provider who's experienced, who's got a significant portion of their practice dedicated to ketamine. There are a lot of people out there who might do a couple infusions one day a week, or, you know, they got a little downtime on Fridays. So they started offering a little, um, I wouldn't start there if at all possible. I would go to someone who's really been doing this work who has a decent level of experience doing it, who seems knowledgeable and passionate about it and who is involved in it. I would speak with the office. You want an office where people answer the phone and are knowledgeable and friendly. It's amazing how many clinics don't even pick up during business hours. I would, I would get someone that has a team approach, a solo provider, lots of great solo providers out there. 
I believe that a collaborative approach is important and having a good support staff is important to do this work well. So even front desk and admin people, they should be knowledgeable, friendly, responsive, help you to feel really comfortable and warm. I would say they should be able to answer your questions without hard selling you on anything. If you feel, and they should really take an interest in getting to know you and what your needs are. If you don't feel like they care about you as an individual, if it's a sales pitch, if they're trying to pressure you to make a decision, these are all big red flags. If they want you to commit to a package deal or do uh, a bunch up front, I mean, we, we charge for the first two infusions and then for each infusion thereafter on its own. And if at any point people don't want to continue a treatment, they don't have to, and there's no obligation. I think it's really important that patients not be locked in to six, eight, 10 infusions or whatever, or incentivized mm-hmm. to buy more to save money. Those are big red flags. There's a lot of different types of providers doing this work who are great. You have ER docs, anesthesiologists, psychiatrists, CRNAs, NPs, PAs, even internists, you know, family medicine docs. There's many different specialties that are doing this work. And that's one of the exciting and cool things about it. And you can get a great provider in any of them. So I wouldn't say it needs to be or should be limited to any any one specialty, actually quite the opposite as far as that goes. I feel like I could say a lot more, um, just a couple other things, I suppose the environment, the setting is really important. So you want to go somewhere where you have a clinic that's clean, quiet, that has a nice decor, that has a nice ambiance. You can tell from their videos or their photos. Uh, Not something that's a shared space, probably. Uh, I'm sure there are shared spaces out there that are great. Generally, it can be tricky, though. You don't want a lot of other commotion or noise from other providers. If there's more than one doctor doing different services, sharing an office, other people in the office might not be as sensitive to the sound or disruption or confidentiality or the kind of sensitive nature of this treatment. So that's Mm -hmm. really important. I also think it's important that people are monitored uh, for vitals. So pulse ox, EKG, blood pressure. There's a lot of providers out there that I think are a little willy nilly about that. Ketamine is super safe. It doesn't mean that you should not be monitoring patients. Sometimes patients come to us and their baseline is concerning. They have health issues they're not aware of that we discover when we connect them to monitors. They're really tachycardic. Their blood pressure is dangerously low. We've said to patients, not only are we not treating you, but we're going to call an ambulance for you right now, or you're going to go directly to the the hospital yourself because this is really bad. There's certain times we can give them medicine depending on what's going on with them, like tachycardia, right? We can help to lower that. But uh, we had one patient in particular, he had a heart issue. I think he had had a recent procedure done. We're like, you got to, we got to talk to your cardiologist right now. And we got to know, like, are you going to the ER? What's happening? Totally pre-treatment, totally independent of his need for depression Mm -hmm. treatment with us. Right. So these are some of the reasons why it's really important to always monitor patients. And I would recommend that people go somewhere that's going to monitor their vitals. Also eyes and ears on them at all times. Uh, Some of the places that aren't doing this so well think it's okay to just leave someone in a room unattended for an hour, and that's not appropriate. They should have, um, whether it's the doctor or the nurses or or whoever's assisting, monitoring, checking in, making sure they're comfortable and safe during their experience. So I know I just threw a lot out there, but those are some of the key things that I would look for. And I would trust your gut and your intuition. Like I said, I think feeling like somebody is really knowledgeable and really cares about you and that they can, you know, you get consistent answers to your questions from the staff is really useful and important. And if that's not your experience, then you might want to take pause. 
Um, last thing I'll say is reviews. I think reviews matter. I use them all the time in my personal life for any product or service I'm looking for. I'm big on that. And I would look for people who have at least a decent number of, of good reviews and I would read them, see that they're genuine because there's of course fake reviews and out real. there. <laughs> yeah. And they're real. Yeah. Yeah, they're real. But but we, yeah. you, know, and you can tell if it's a bunch of one-liners like this, you know, doc is the best, this doc's the best, like over and over, it's maybe not real. But if people go into detailed stories and really share authentically, you can bet they're probably real. And if there's more than one or two of those, you know, I think that that's a good sign, especially just relative to other providers in their area. So it's not about necessarily any specific number of reviews, but if it seems like they're, they have like a decent number of good reviews that are real. That's also encouraging, not, not the only thing to go on, but another thing to look for. Right. Nice. Nice. I agree. I agree. Other things that I would add too is having within the clinic, having an ability to provide integration where mm-hmm. the office provides integration and therapy um, to go along with it, because there are a lot of clinics, like you said, that have just added, oh, I have a room this day. Let me just start giving ketamine, right? Yeah. They they don't have that mental health, that therapeutic, the listening, the, the just being present with the patient that is required during these infusions and just, you know, working with um, patients suffering from mental health um, issues and having integration support. Um, and like you said, the staff, you know, having set staff that are the same staff that patients love that they love, you know, seeing my nurse every time they come in, that it's not a new nurse, a new provider, a new front desk. And, you know, there's no rotation. It's consistent. Like if that nurse had her that she's going to continue having her, you know, and, and then Callie and I will go in and chat, or we have John that does the trauma work. You know, we always have people there to, to support. Uh, and that really is important um, in that. So that's my, I guess, tidbit on top of, of that is having that integration. Cause I agree, ketamine, yeah. yeah, ketamine is an amazing tool. Like we said in the beginning, but it's just a tool along with all the other work that you have to do on top of that. And that's really where all psychedelics are, right? It's got to be with care. It's, it's the ketamine plus the care. It's not just ketamine by itself. Absolutely. And yeah, that continuity is important for sure. We, we have a wonderful team. We love our team and our patients do. And the people who think they can bring in a contractor, someone for like, you know, a day rate once in a while, or just switch out like locums people to just step in and help not a great model mm-hmm. for this kind of work. Uh, a core team of, of em- people who are actual employees on staff for their day in and day out will really be consistent in your care is definitely really valuable. And I would also add, you know, look at the training. I mean, we have a crash cart. People are ACLS, BLS. Look at the safety in, in place. Again, ketamine is very safe when it's used responsibly. And clinics, in my opinion, should be prepared for bad outcomes and, and ready to handle it if needed. So I mean, we have yeah. oxygen, we have a defibrillator, we have crash cart, all that stuff. Thank God it just collects dust and we never need to use yeah. it, but it's, it's important stuff. So I think, you know, patients going somewhere where they are going to really be safe if something does go wrong is, is also useful. Yeah, I agree very much. So we have yet to use our, any of our crash emergency equipment, but we still run pretend codes just in case. <laughs> yeah. You know, it always pains me when I have to throw away these drugs that are expensive. My nurse orders a box of 10 or 20 of something that we don't use, which we can't get just a vial of, and we need just one or two yeah. vials in the crash cart. 
And whenever I start to get a little bit irritated, they're like, oh, I got to buy 20 vials of something and I'm going to, you know, donate 18 and then throw the other two away in a year or whatever. I just kind of remind myself, I much prefer it this way than actually using these things. Yes. <laughs> or having to use it and not having it, right? Yes. Needing even, it and not having it. Even more so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Our clinic, we do a little bit different in our protocol. We end up um, spreading out the last two infusions. So we end up going like three to four weeks Oh, okay. to, to try to like the last two infusions. So twice a week for the first two weeks. And then we um, do the last two infusion once a week oh, um, for that. Yeah. Just to kind of like prolong the exposure to the ketamine, um, uh-huh. doing the integration coaching and allowing them to implement and making changes that they need in their personal life. And then with that tapering that spread out before they go into the maintenance phase, um, which some yeah. patients never need to have another ketamine infusion, right? If they've done mm-hmm. and worked through everything they needed to got to the root cause and had that transform transformative experience and are able to, you know, move on and continue on with their best life. Do you guys track the amount of patients, like the percentage that need to go and continue on to maintenance infusions, or is it just, does everybody usually go on to maintenance for you? No, everyone definitely doesn't for reasons you're saying people can get really meaningful healing. That's really long lasting. And sometimes if it's a result of a situational thing, uh, just kind of helping them to get through that. And then mm-hmm. they're good. I don't know off the top of my head. It's a good question of how many patients come back. I, I want to say like maybe around 50%, but I don't, I don't want to misspeak. I don't know for sure. Um, that's just kind of off the top of my head. It's probably a diagnosis basis, right? Like it depends on the actual diagnosis, right? Yes. Yeah. As far as, you know, the, the interesting thing though, is people come back less often over time, they get more and more mileage from their boosters. Mm-hmm. So for us, relief is on average around three months, uh, from an initial series. And then people come back for boosters, which is usually, uh, two infusions a day or two apart and they can get another three or four months. And then over time they might get six months and then seven, they might just come back twice a year thereafter. Uh, it's hard to figure there's so many different categories of patients from more severe suicidality uh, or more complex PTSD versus depression, anxiety. So as far as separating them out, it'd be very interesting to kind of do a study on that or to try to dig into that data more and see if there's trends there. I'm sure that there are, um, but I don't know what they are. Right. Yeah. I think it would definitely have to go in the variables of diagnosis and then length of diagnosis. Mm-hmm. concurrent medications, very, very many variables. You know, so lifestyle, lifestyle, <laughs> lifestyle is big too. I mean, I remember oh, one yeah. patient in particular, I was just like, oh my God, this guy was complaining that, you know, he wasn't getting better and he was drinking a, a, a fifth of bourbon every day. We're hmm. like, you know, you gotta, sorry to tell you this, but like, you gotta lay off the bourbon. You know, I mean, we didn't say it that way, of course, but it was like, I'm just like this, you know, some people, they're not taking care of themselves at all, whether it's alcoholism or other drugs or and, you know, even just the pillars of wellness, you know, we have some patients who are really active with, with fitness, healthy nutrition, adequate sleep, talk therapy. These patients are thriving a lot more generally than patients who aren't embracing those things and really focusing on them. But, you know, ketamine gives people the energy and the motivation to do that. I mean, that's the, the yes. painful I- irony of wellness, right? Is all the people, a lot of the people who are depressed 
know those things would be good for them, but they don't have the energy or motivation to do them. When they get relief with the ketamine, that's a key window of opportunity to start to do those things. And most people do have that relief. Whether or not they choose to, to do something with it is another story. And so it's really important to capitalize on that. Uh, patients who don't uh, definitely don't see as pronounced a benefit or as long a lasting benefit. And sometimes in more extreme cases, like someone drinking a fifth of liquor every day, they might not get much benefit at all. And they really need to take a look at how those other factors might be contributing. Definitely. Wow. Lots of fun. I can talk about ketamine for hours, right? Me too. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, we're nearing the end. Um, Thank you so much for speaking with me about ketamine. I love everything that you're doing. Congratulations on all the services that you're adding, helping your patients out in uh, California. They're very lucky to have you and Dr. Mandel um, in their in their in their care, right? Caring for them. So that's um, kind of you, Sonia. Thank you. Oh, you're yeah. so welcome. You're very welcome. I am going to post all the ways to contact you and find your clinic. I think it's uh, kcla.com. Uh, Ketamineclinics.com. Uh, Ketamineclinics.com. Oh, With nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Ketamineclinics.com. Yeah. Nice. Perfect. Well, if I look forward to seeing you at very, very many conferences. Yeah. I just want to say really quickly, it's really such a, such a treat to speak with another practitioner who's so knowledgeable, passionate, and really doing things the right way. So thank you for that and for a great conversation. I, I wish we could do it for another hour. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Just ketamine yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah but From very... the East Coast to the West Coast. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I hope to see you sometime soon. Oh, definitely. You have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.